Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. My wife and I lead Ramp Church here in Manchester. Our church is just a year old. We have a little baby church. Um, but we're so excited about what God's doing in this city. Uh, this is home to us. We love this city. I love Message Trust. Um, you guys have been an inspiration to us since before we even moved here. But my wife and I were a part of uh, the ramp in Alabama before we moved here. And we just, we believe God um, has his eye on this nation. We believe the UK is on his radar and I believe Manchester is at the center of his heart and what he wants to do in the world. And so I'm, we moved here to be a part, just to be a part. God's doing amazing things through so many other churches. If we didn't have a church, there's other churches here that I would be glad to send my family to. But we do feel like we have a vision, um, something unique that God's given us to bring to this place. And I'm excited to join with you, Message Trust, in that journey. So I wanna invite you this morning into two things. I wanna invite you into a posture of hearing. I'm amazed continually at the way Jesus framed the way our heart should be postured towards him like a child. Just amazed by that. And some of, some of the people that I now, I think, admire the most in ministry are people that have been in ministry for decades, but they still have a childlike faith about them. It's not the people in green rooms that just, gosh, continue to spout off success and numbers and story. No, it's the childlike faith. It's just tender towards God through betrayal, through when it didn't look like it was gonna happen, when we have to sing about his goodness, not because we're living in it, but because I'm declaring it as faith that I, I just, someday, I think he's gonna show himself as good. Right now, everything doesn't look like he's good. But that's a faith song. And I wanna, I wanna invite you into that childlike reception this morning. And the second thing is, I'm, I want to primarily speak to the next generation of leaders today. Uh, if you're 35 and under, would you just raise your hand? Let me see you 35 and unders. Most of you, most of you in the room. Well, I couldn't raise my hand for that, but I am going to speak to you uh, this morning. I feel like I have a word for you. And um, and I'm excited to share it. When I was in prayer for you, I've been praying for you. When I was in prayer for you, I, I feel like God reminded me, gave me Joel chapter two, which is then repeated in Acts chapter two. Um, and it's a very popular passage where Peter says, Peter pronounces to the people who are hearing him that day that this, this prophecy is fulfilled now. But as we know, the nature of prophecy is that it's not just fulfilled once, but it's an unfolding prophetic word. So we see that in Joel chapter two and in Acts chapter two, I still feel like we are in that day. And the part of the prophetic word that stuck out for me, to me, for you, is the part where young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. And the striking thing about that prophecy is that generally young men are the one dreaming dreams. Why? Because we don't have enough experience to build a vision. So we just have hopes, right? Dreams happen when you're asleep, when you don't have a true grasp of reality. Any young men in the room? And we just, we just have dreams, just God. 
if you only could. Because when you're old, you have enough grasp of reality that you form a vision, okay? Because this is doable. This is foreseeable future. But dreams, I'm past that. I'm too wise. I'm too mature, experienced to have dreams. I just have visions. Uh, And then the amazing thing about the prophetic word, though, is this is the promise. My spirit will be poured out. And when my spirit is poured out, everyone will be changed. And young men, and this is what I think the lesson is for you, Message Trust, young men will be supernaturally matured to see what only generally old men can see, visions. And old men, their hope will be restored again. And like a child, they'll have the naive hope that can just say, God, what can be? What do I hope the end result of this morning is? I hope that old men's hearts are stirred again to dream dreams. Come on, shake off, shake off the, the, uh, the weariness of hope deferred. This morning, that your heart can be renewed again. That where hope deferred has made your heart sick. That God can infuse life again. That you as an old man that's, that's had visions for years, God can go, wait a second, I'm starting to dream again. Things that aren't contained by my past experiences or letdowns or betrayals or times when I've prayed and it didn't happen. Come on, let's take the limits off of what God can do based on our past experience and stretch our faith, not to our experience, but to his ability. Can you see your city from that perspective? And young men, can you start to get out of just dreamland and go, God, can you mature my perspective enough supernaturally that I can have a picture for the future that's not just based on, ah, well, I hope that can happen, but it's based on concrete words from God. What has he said to you, young generation? I want to read a few passages to stir your faith. Is that okay? Can I do that? I have a lot to read, so I hope, I hope you're good listeners. We're going to start in Ezekiel chapter 1. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read through three passages. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses number 26 through 28. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, and Revelation 4, 2 through 11. Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, and Revelation 4, 2 through 11. If, if you're paying attention, you may notice that those are some All three of those passages are encounters with God. Let's start in Ezekiel chapter number one, starting in verse number 26. Above the expanse, now we're we're in the world of the apostle, excuse me, of the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is having an encounter with God. And he's describing the encounter with limited human language. That's, have you ever had an encounter like that? Somebody's like, well, how, how was service? Or how was your prayer time? You're like, it was awesome. They're like, well, what happened? You're like, it was great. It was awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, so Ezekiel tries the best he can to put language to this encounter. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance, like sapphire. It wasn't sapphire. It was like sapphire. He's just trying to describe this best he can. Seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. Upward from what had the appearance of his waist. I don't really know if it was his waist. It was just somewhere in the middle. Upward from there. 
I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. Can you see just how outlandish this is? He can't even describe it. He, he just has to use natural things in unnatural ways. Gleaming metal. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. Sitting upon a throne, he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What an experience they had. Let me keep reading about John now, Revelation chapter four. This is John's experience. One of the things I love about John's experience is we're talking about somebody that knew the king of kings intimately. Again, we're, we, we're the, our favorite thing to talk about, John is at the Last Supper. He was the one laying his head on Jesus's breast, right? So he was close to Jesus. Yet Jesus is always expanding in glory. So now we see... John experiencing the same one he knew so intimately, but his encounter is much different. And I want to tell you, if you're continuing on this journey with God, message trust, he's not going to be the same he was to you yesterday, today, if we're on the right path. We're going to experience him in increasing glory. We even see this when Jesus walked on the earth. John had laid on his chest a few chapters before, after his resurrection, he, he's trying to figure out who is this man on the beach right? We know this in John chapter 21. Jesus is walking and him and Peter are like, who is this guy? He was, finally, it dawns on John. That's Jesus. Peter hops out of the boat, swims. We know the story. John, Jesus is always wanting to reveal more of his glory to us. At once, John says, I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper, and carnelian. All around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with white, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. I don't know about your prayer times, but, but sometimes I just hope for a little inspiration in my prayer. Like, I just hope my heart just a little feels something. This is a whole nother level, and we're not done. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. These are some of my favorite creatures. Just imagine God when he's creating out of his heart, out of his mind. He decides, this, this has to be the ultimate vanity, right? He decides, I'm going to create a creature 
whose entire purpose is looking at me. And I'm so going to equip them to look at me, I'm just going to cover them with eyeballs. And having eyeballs on the outside isn't enough. I'm actually going to put eyeballs on the inside of them. They're going to so be covered in eyeballs and I'm going to ask them to just fly around my throne all day and night for all of eternity. That's what these creatures were doing, covered in eyes. Look at this. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Now, we don't know that it looked exactly like an eagle. It's just John's going, my mind's blown, first of all. I've never seen something with eyes all around it. And it flew kind of like an eagle. Not really sure. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Isn't it interesting? They had six wings, just like the prophet's vision. Are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What is it about this God that for all of eternity a being could fly around singing only one song? Holy, holy, holy. Do you know what the word holy means? It means other, different, separate. So these creatures for all of eternity, with eyes all around them, fly around the throne of God and the only thing they continue to say about him, this being they've seen for the last however long, is you're different, you're other. You're separate. I've never seen this before. Wait a second. I thought you've been flying around him for thousands of years. How can you say I've never seen this before? This is why. Because God is inexhaustible. The word says that his understanding is without limits, that we cannot even comprehend his wisdom. So creatures continue to fly around him and they don't say what we often say when we come to church. Same, 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 boring, boring, boring. No, no, no. They're always saying different, other, separate. Because Why? Because every time they revolve around the throne, they have a fresh revelation of who he is. Every revolution brings a new revelation. Why is it that our experience does not mirror these experiences? Why is the church more known as a place that's backward looking, stuck in past experience, predictable, stale? I mean, I don't know about your church, but pretty much we sing the same songs at my church every week. I preach the same sermon. I mean, I use different illustrations, but it's essentially the same sermon, right? Come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Don't speak, Hattie. You go to Ramp Church. You're the only one who can't say anything. So 
Well, let's be honest. Why, why, why is our reputation boring? When there are creatures whose entire existence is to see God, and every time they see him, it's like seeing him for the first time. Is it possible that somewhere in the journey that we have settled? Somewhere in the journey we were revolving around the throne and we just stopped at some revelation that was probably amazing and mind-blowing and life-changing, but we forgot that there's more. Have we perhaps at times settled? C.S. Lewis in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, says this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Then C.S. Lewis says this, we are far too easily pleased. One of the things I have a passion to tell the next generation is not that you're, the desires you have are too great. And I feel like youth ministry is so often focused on teaching a young generation how to say no. <laughs> but I want to tell a young generation, it's not that your desires are too great. It's that you're trying to fulfill them in the wrong place. I actually think your desires are too small. And when you raise your desires above what's currently satisfying them, you'll start to realize how unsatisfying the things that you're trying to satisfy them with are. And then you'll realize the only thing that can satisfy what I'm trying to seek is the divine. All of a sudden, you have opened up your heart to the only one that can meet the thing you're desiring. We are far too easily pleased. But here's the part that I have for this younger generation. I want to propose that the cure for the settler mentality is a pioneer spirit. The cure for the settler mentality is a pioneer spirit. And this is why I want to talk to the younger generation in this room. Because... I can relate to being a part of a ministry, an organization that was started and has seen success because of the pioneer spirit. And I know what it's like to be a next generation of leadership and battle with what's this going to look like in the future. And I want to speak to young, young generation about what it looks like to position yourself to receive the pioneer spirit, to take this place into the years into the future, whether that's five years, whether that's 25 years from now. We've, as the next generation, we've got to be positioned to receive so we don't stop along the way. You know what? You know where denominations come from? Denominations are awesome. Networks are awesome. We have coverings and those sorts of things. But do you know where that comes from? 
Somewhere along the way, we settle and we set up camp. We connect to everybody else who's settled in the same spot. That's what that is. Now, as a community, we continue to grow and move and a network, we continue. But this is what I want to challenge you with. There's always more, young generation. There's always more. What does it look like to be a pioneer? Well, when the people of God enjoyed, let me tell you about some pioneers in the Bible, can I? You with me? You with me, message. When the people of God enjoyed the predictability of the Jewish intellectual elite, God calls the unlearned, the uneducated, working class pioneer, the apostle Peter, to reach the Jews. When the church was satisfied with only reaching their own ethnic group, the Jews, God stirred the pioneer spirit in Paul to reach the nations with the gospel. When the disciples, hurt and confused after the death of Jesus, had given up on the mission Jesus had given them, God called Mary to be the first witness of Jesus' resurrection and pioneer the role of evangelist. When Paul's mission to reach the Gentiles was exploding and he couldn't plant churches fast enough, God stirred up the pioneer spirits of young leaders and pastors, Timothy, Titus, to look at building the budding church. When When new apostolic church leaders needed to be raised up to carry the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, God used Priscilla and Aquila to pioneer the role of spiritual parents to Apollos and others. And of course, the ultimate pioneer was Jesus. John chapter three records he came into the world that was in love with darkness and he shone a great light. Let me, let me talk to you about one pioneer specific. We could talk for days on pioneers in the Bible, but young generation, I wanna to talk to you about Joshua because of how familiar we are with him. It's an easy place to bounce off of. Joshua chapter one tells us that after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses's assistant. And the first point I wanna make young generation is that pioneers are positioned through service. I know nobody's writing notes on that because that is not gonna be tweeted. But I just wanna tell you, pioneers are positioned through service. We, we like to believe what the world tells us, that promotion comes from publicity. But in the kingdom, promotion comes through service. That the reason Joshua was able to walk in the pioneer spirit is because he served the one who held the pioneer spirit before him. That the way you're gonna be able to walk into what God has for you in the future is through service. We don't like that word because this is the most individualistic culture in the history of the world, sociologists say. The first question we get toward anything we come in contact with is, what's in it for me? Come on, let's be honest. Can I challenge you this morning? Is that okay? You guys are awful quiet in here. Sometimes I preach at Jamaican churches. Can you pretend you're Jamaican this morning? They talk back at me. All right, there, there we are. Come on, yes. Uh-huh, she's been holding that in the whole time. She's been holding that in the whole time. Yeah, come on, come on. Talk back to me a bit. Yeah, there we are. Promotion comes through service. Why? Because your heart is positioned through the price that you pay. Let me tell you, what's gonna sustain the work 
of the message trust for generations to come is not because you really know how to do lights and cameras and tour schedules and branding. That's not going to do it. That's not what got you here. And it's not going to take you in the future, young generation. What gets you there is a heart that's positioned in service to almighty God. And you know how that happens? When there's a heart positioned in service to a person you can see. It's the principle. If you don't love, Jesus said it, if you don't love the person you do see, how can you say you love the God that you don't see? And I want to ask you, young generation, if you say you serve the God you can't see, but you don't serve the people you can see, then I think you need to do a heart check. And you know, service is never tested until there's disagreement. It's not tested until, there's dis- until you disagree. Until you go, well, that's not the way I want to do it. Well, I'm sorry, you're not in charge. Can I just be honest? I'm just talking from my, maybe I'm just talking about my own journey. You never disagree with your leaders, I'm sure. Okay. The heart of service is formed and tested in that place where there are requirements and standards put on you that you don't understand. You can't grasp them. But pioneers are positioned through service. We could go, I could just keep going on that. Uh, I, let, me, let me just share one more. We could, I could teach a whole sermon on this. Elijah and Elisha, right? First Kings chapter 19. We see, the, we see the passing of a mantle from one generation to the next, don't we? Some, some, we? We've all heard the popular Elijah telling Elisha, if you see me when I'm taken, you'll receive my mantle. Some commentators actually translate that, if you see what I see, When I'm taken, you'll receive my mantle. Do you know why you're positioned in service? To inherit the vision of the people that have gone before you. If you see what they see when they're taken, you'll be positioned to pioneer. But if you can't see the way they see, you're not positioned. I don't care if you can do the stuff. I don't care if you can preach and dance and sing. That's not what got them where they are. Do you hear me? What got them where they are is a heart positioned in service to God. And God said, you know what? I can use that heart because it looks like my son who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I've got to move on. Pioneers are positioned through service. We see that with Moses Moses and Jethro, Joshua and Moses. Number two, pioneers win in private before they lead in public. As long as you frame your private battles as that's just between me and God, you will never understand what's going on in your life. But God took Moses out of Egypt before Moses was qualified to take Israel out of Egypt. Are you listening to me? That God wants to so win through your life in the private place, the unseen world where nobody else sees, that when, that when he places you before before a generation that he wants you to lead, you remember. When I was in a place I could not get out of, he pulled me out of that place, and now I know the same God that rescued me, he could rescue you. Come on. Your private battles, your battle with, with pornography, can we just be real? Your, your submission issues with authority, your gossiping problems that you just can't see, let me, why is it imperative that you win those? Because if you don't win, you won't be positioned to pioneer the next move of God. 
It's not just about, well, this is the in club, we're all clean and we're perfect and our lives are great. I don't know if you've been to church recently. (laughs) No, the in club is, I'm letting him fight my battles with me, my personal battles. Why? Because I know he's called me to a generation. Come on. Can you see it with me? Your private battles will be won before you can lead in public. This will cost you something, young generation. I love, I love seeing how, how Joshua worked with Moses. One of my favorite stories is that Moses would have encounters with God at the tent of meeting. And the Bible says that he would talk to God as a man talks to another man, face to face. But you know what happened when Moses would leave the tent of meeting? Joshua would stick around. He wants to do something in your private world that qualifies you to be seen publicly. Let let me say it like this. You cannot take anybody somewhere that you have not been yourself. Do you hear me? The, The presence of God does not manifest because we all get together and sing the best songs together and God just really likes those and, well, you are good is a popular song, so... I think he's into that one. No, I'm pretty sure God knew that that song was going to be written before the foundations of the world. He's been hearing it for quite some time. It's been on his playlist. Do you hear me? It comes because somebody, thank you, Jonathan, somebody has, knows the way to his presence in their personal life that he, that they can guide a room there. It's like if we were, if, if we were all going to my house right now, I could take you to my house. Why? Well, because I know how to get to my house from here. It's the same way to the presence of God. There's a way to his presence. And when you know that way, you've all of a sudden discovered the way that you're going to take others. Thank you, Moses, coming out of Egypt. I can now go back to to Egypt to lead Israel the same way that he took me. Are you seeing the connection? I've got to finish in a minute and 22 one, 20 seconds. Pioneers aren't afraid to leave old things for new places. Listen, pioneers aren't afraid to leave old things for new places. I've always wondered, God, if you would take Israel across the desert and then say, I'm going to use you to conquer nations, why didn't you just empower them to conquer Egypt? It would have saved a whole lot of walking. Let me give you, let me give you a, a, a little key in life. Because some enemies you don't fight, you just leave behind. Listen to me. The reason Israel became a, a threat to Egypt is because they outgrew Egypt. Sometimes it's just your pursuit of God that you outgrow your enemies. It's not stopping life to, to, to conquer them. It is, no, God, do such a work in me that my enemies want me out. Like, get out of here. We... We're intimidated by you. Some enemies you just leave behind. Number four, pioneers fight for generational promises. Let me tell you, one of my favorite things that God says over and over in Joshua is, Joshua, I'm giving you this land like I promised your forefathers. There is nothing I am doing now 
that is novel or that I thought of or that it is all an answer to somebody else's prayer generations ago. And let me tell you, the key to this is not that you're creating something that's never been done before. There are praying grandmothers that have, <laughs> that have prayed ramp church and the message trust into existence. They were, they were here 800 years ago. I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta realize, I, I don't get to invent the role of pastor. Timothy did that a couple thousand years ago. I, I probably have some things to learn. You with me, young generation? We've gotta see this. You are actually called to fulfill words that were given to somebody else. Pioneers fight for generational promises. And this is where I wanna end. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Go ahead and stand to your feet. This is, this, this is my challenge to you. Well, first I wanna say this. How do you know when, you, when, you've, when you've stepped into the place of pioneer? Let me tell you, young generation. It's when you stop having to work at possessing the promise and the promise is possessing you. Did you hear me? When you have to work, to, oh gosh, let me remember, what has God said or what does God wanna do through the message or what? No, 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 it's possessing you. It, it keeps you up at night. You wake up at three in the morning because your heart is alive with the possibilities of what God could do through this place. And let me, so here's my charge to you. It, uh, listen to this young generation. It's time to pull out some old prophetic words. Do you hear me? I'm, I'm giving you some, some marching assignments. It's time to contend in prayer, contend in praise, and contend through your service for the things that, prom that God has promised this organization, this ministry that you're going to fulfill. Can I just get some, some piano? Not because God needs it, but because I like it. And I just wanna pray over you before we leave. And this is, this is what I wanna challenge you to do. Open your heart in a fresh way to what God said. Some of you, you know. You remember, so it's gonna be God. Let me hope in those promises like, like I did when you first gave them to us. Before I became too wise to have just a, a hope, just a childlike faith in them. And then some of you, you need to make the commitment and the decision of, you know what? I don't know what God said about this place. I don't know what God said about my ministry. I don't know what God said about my part here. And I commit now to find that out and make it my call to contend that those things come to pass. So let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that there's not a thing you've ever spoken that you have forgotten. But you keep perfect records. And I thank you that you have heard every prayer that has been prayed from this building, from the homes and the prayer closets of the people in this room, that for years and years have contended to see your promises. And I thank you that you see the, the next generation coming. Father, that you've put them in this place to position them to receive a pioneer spirit, to pay a price, to be qualified, to take this into the next phase, the next season, the next few decades and decades of work for this place. And Father, today, I just ask that by your grace and mercy, you would see us as fitting to receive that call. And I just want to leave just 30 seconds here. I'm over time. I'm so sorry. But I just want to leave 30 seconds for you in your own way to tell him how you want to respond to this word.
you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that your word and your work in this ministry is going from glory to glory and faith to faith and strength to strength. I just prophesy and declare greater fruit is to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.